Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Penny Billington, our guest today, is a Druid author and speaker who has had a significant role in the Order of Bards, Ophates, and Druids for many years, and has edited their magazine, Touchstone, for 20 years. She regularly leads ceremonies and workshops, runs an online course, Crafting the Druid Path, and facilitates a Druid Grove on a Somerset Levels, UK. We're going to talk to her about her newest book, Nine Ways to Charm a Dryad. Welcome to the show, Penny. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Now, um, so Penny, what is it? What is a druid? We'll go for the basic. <laughs> what is, mm, yes. The big question. What is uh, a druid? <laughs> and how did you become a druid? Uh, a druid is someone who explores their spirituality through nature. He thinks that nature has a lot of gifts to give us. And they think if you think that spirit pervades the world, the best way you can see that or get an inkling of that is through nature. Um, and Druids were the indigenous priests of the land. That's the Druids of the Iron Age. When we go, go back uh, to sort of times the Romans, at the time the Romans invaded uh, Britain and Europe. And so, were, were they basic to, um, to Britain or all through you at, uh, Europe as well? Well, the, no, there were Druids in Europe as well. It is said, it's really interesting because we know hardly anything about them. So the first thing I'd like to say is all oh, Druids are romantics. We love the idea that our ancient Druids are just on the cusp of myth and history. We can never quite know as much about them as we'd like to, because what we know are, are the things that people like Julius Caesar wrote about them. The mm -hmm. Druids themselves didn't write anything down. But so we've got all that history to look back to. But fast forward, and a druid today feels that they're um, a priest or priestess of the land. They have a spiritual connection to the land. Julius Caesar said that. He said they understood the natural sciences and the movements of the heavens, and they knew they, they were in tune with the seasons and the world. That's what we try to be. Um, I became a druid in a sort of magical way uh, that's completely explicable. But um, what happened was I was interested in was in all sorts of uh, spiritual seat searchings. And one day there was a piece of paper in the middle of my floor in the living room saying, would you like to join this organization? Fill in this form as well before the days of computers and things. Yeah. Uh, and it was for the Druid organization, the largest teaching organization um, globally, I think, um, called Obod, the Order of Bards, Ovets and Druids. So I filled in the form and sent it off. 
Now, of course, I have had visitors to my house. It fell out of someone's handbag. I don't think uh, it appeared magically, but it was magical in that it came at just the right time for me. Mm -hmm. And I sent off. Coincidentally, in that first few months, they had their first ever camp on the land. So I went to that and I was in it What's from the word go. What's Sorry? It? What's a camp? camp? A camp. Oh, camp. camp. Sorry. Yeah, camping yeah. like like you like you yeah, no, go no, to I... summer camp. We had our yeah. summer camp, Druid summer camp. I've been to <laughs> I've, yeah. I've been to Druid summer camps in the states, and they are absolutely brilliant. Um, as a guest, it's been wonderful. But I went to one, so I I met people. I did the course, but I actually met people, sat around a campfire with them, talked about the trees and so on with them, and, mm-hmm. and just had a real experience of Druid. A lot of synchronicity, though, too. It was mm. as if you were being called. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's certainly the way it felt. It was it yeah. was a lovely, lovely introduction to the whole thing. Now, there there isn't a lot known about the Druids or their beliefs. So... Um, no. Because nothing was written down. It, That's right. From what yeah. I understand, nothing was written down, which means that um, everybody kind of has to reconnect with nature and figure it out again. Is that how, how, how is it being taught if nobody could learn it? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we don't have a book of received wisdom like, like uh, all the major religions do. We say, right. oh, we, le- we learn from the book of nature. Now, in the most basic, you know, silly way, you might say, you learn from the book of nature when you go for a long walk and you don't take the right clothes and you end up freezing and yeah. uh, and you've had a really bad <laughs> yeah. experience instead of a good one. Uh, but you can learn from the book of nature in a more spiritual way as well, through, through tuning in. Um, and some of the learnings you get from nature, for example, uh, nature tells us that diversity is good. Nature tells us that the seasons of the year are natural and that they're reflected in our own lives. So I would say I'm in the autumn of my life at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and other people will be in the spring and summer of theirs. Some people will be in the winter of their. But that's a completely natural cycle, uh, not something to be fought against with, um, you know, by trying to look uh 50 years younger than you are or whatever. I mean, we all try to. I was going to say we're, we're fighting. (laughs) We want, we want, we want to look as good as we can. And we live in, in the modern world and Druids do not try and retreat from the modern world. Mm -hmm. What we do is we keep all our contracts, you know, with our, with our partners, with our kids, with our mortgages, with our jobs, Mm -hmm. but by having this extra idea of the spirit behind nature, that sort of makes our lives larger and and enriches uh, our ordinary life, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's wonderful. It just makes it more dimensional. So after the camp, <laughs> yeah, after, after the camp, the camp, yeah. How did how did you proceed? I mean, um... okay. Well, as I said, Obod is a very um, large teaching order, and it teaches through booklets. So I used to say. You know, jokingly, I am a correspondence uh, course druid because we got booklets through the post and they would teach the most basic, basic things. They'd teach you about uh, ceremony, ceremony, about sitting quietly, about being in a circle. 
about all the correspondences between earth, air, fire and water, which, of course, are reflected in our own bodies, the building blocks of the universe. We'd learn these things step by step. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people come from other paths, spiritual paths, and think, well, I know that stuff. And of course, if it's true and it's real and it's relevant, of course, every spiritual path will start with those things. But there's a particular way that we do it in in Druidry and in Ubod. So we say, yeah, you're a really experienced magical practitioner. Just go through this and just tune in, tune in to the way we do it, you know, and then we go into the next part. Um, so we learn that in the bardic stuff, all the basics. How, how are you different from uh, paganism or Wicca? Well, paganism is an umbrella term, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, th- uh, I guess so. Yeah, that includes all the nature religions. So uh, uh, witchcraft, Wicca, Druidry, heathenism, that, you know, all those sort of things, they all come under that pagan umbrella. Um, you, Druidry is not so much about what Druids believe, but the way they look at the world and the way they experience the world, I would say. So two things of Druidry, or maybe there are three, I can't remember, I'll count them out. But anyway, one that's really important is that we have to live with linear time, which tells us we're going on a journey. You know, you're a child, you're an adolescent, you're an adult, you go through those things. The seasons, yeah. yeah. But we also live with the idea of eternity. So we experience eternity by being in the moment. And we get that mostly through gratitude, just being still and thinking, wow, just this minute, I feel great. Or mm-hmm. mm, just this minute, that food couldn't be better. You know, those little tiny click, click, click. I'm just noticing they're just tiny little bits, little golden moments that key us into being here now, it's sort of eternity. The other thing is that Druids believe that if you're not being creative, you're just existing, really. Everyone should is a creative being. Now, because a lot of people will have heard of bards, uh, druids being bards and wearing long white robes and playing on harps. Yeah, think, oh, do you I have think, to? Yeah. yeah, so you've got to be a poet. You've got to be a music maker. You've got to uh-huh. actually in the bardic grave. a wanderer, grave, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. But in the bardic grave, we teach being creative is doing the thing you love. So you can be a creative bardic dressmaker, cake mm-hmm. maker, storyteller to your grandchildren, any of those things where you look up and you think, oh, where did that time go? Because you were completely in the moment doing your thing. And suddenly hours have gone past. That's you being creative. And those are the experiences that Druids try to have as much of the time as possible because we're born to be creative beings. We're also born to be of service. The Druids of old were of service to their communities. They were judges and um, they used to be arbitrating law cases and things like this. Their bards used to sing songs that would tell you how to jolly well behave yourself, you know. In fact, Mm -hmm. they said... um, in, in Ireland, I think they outlawed the practice of making satires because people would satirize uh, just in the way um, I won't talk about anyone else's country. But in mine, um, our prime minister is getting a lot of stick at the moment, Boris Johnson. And we satirize him. We make fun yeah. of him all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. to jolly well show him 
that, you know, he can do it, but we know he's doing it. You know, mm-hmm. um, this was this practice was outlawed in I think it was Ireland um, in the early <laughs> century, uh, because it was said that a bard could r- raise a boil on someone's nose with their satire. You know, they could make it, they could actually have a physical effect on the person. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting away from from the thrust but of you know I I got stuck for that on a moment of yeah. um of all places in Ireland they outlawed satire yeah <laughs> it's pretty um, funny yeah <laughs> but uh, so druids like want to be of service mm-hmm. and it's not the service of sort of what should we say martyrdom so. Remember, you've got these two dynamics. You've got to be creative and you want to be of service. You want to actually leave the world a bit better for the fact that you've been in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, you do that by being joyful and doing the things that you love. And if there are things that are need doing that you hate, I mean, I was on a committee once and it was like my soul shriveled up. And I thought, you know, it was local politics. And I thought, I yeah. will never do that again because my creativity doesn't go that way. And there are lots of people who love that. So if you see a need and it's not your thing, let it go because someone else will fill that hole. You're not Mm -hmm. Jesus. You don't have to save the world in every way. Just do your own loving, creative thing. And, um, and spirit will find a way for you to make the world a bit, a bit better. I mean, if you're a happy, whole, developed, loving human being, that's enough, really. That'll make the world a bit better. Was everybody back in the old days, was everybody a druid? No, no, there were a definite class of druids. And I rather like the idea of being a druid then because it is said that they didn't have to pay taxes. Isn't that brilliant? Well, was that- everybody a druid then? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because uh, it, it is said that, I mean, druids came from the continent, but they came to England to learn. And a, a Druid's training could take 19 years, 19 years. And uh, which that's that's very specific. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, it's nice cosmologically because coincidentally, if you think about the the sun and the moon, they sort of come into sync once every 19 years. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's always if you know when your birth date was, it's always rather nice every 19 years that you're 19 years older, your sun and moon will be in exactly the same position as when you were born, which is rather mm. nice. Um, right. Yeah. That's interesting. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, because they didn't write things down, they had fantastic memories. And one of the things they learned were, were uh, genealogies. So you've got to think there was no country called Britain. Mm-hmm. It was just a load of tribes. I yeah. mean, the, the Romans yeah. came and imposed order across the country, a sort of um, homogeny across the country. But there wasn't that before then. So a druid would be really necessary to know who's married to whom, which tribes have interrelated, what happened 50 years ago. You know, you can imagine all these feuds and things going on. And druids, you talked about the wandering druid early, earlier, mm-hmm. druids going from tribe to tribe, sorting things out, really, keeping the peace. And it said... That's another another way in which they're a very good role model. It's said that if a bard walked across a battlefield, then the fighting would stop. And you allow them to come through. Yeah. Well, they were their news source too, were they? The what, sorry? News. 
the, yes. the news from tribe to tribe. Their news. That's stories. right. Yeah. Yeah. They were hugely respected and they were listened to, uh, you know, with great respect. They were they were of the status of kings, if you like. But mm-hmm. I mean, if I put in nearly 20 years training, um, right. often, you know, including things like lying in a darkened room with a stone on my belly to try and get inspiration. I mean, you know, this was arduous stuff they did. It wasn't yeah. like going to college these days and having a having a counsellor if it all gets a bit much for you. I think they were really tough by the time they uh, came out with their, all their knowledge. Right. But, but they, how do you know, they, though? How do you know? Well, we've got about, you know, there, there's various people travelled to Britain, which they called the ends of the earth. Yeah. Um, and they thought it was a place of mists and of magic. And it was greatly feared, really, because of that, because the Romans and the Greeks, they live in the Mediterranean sun where everything is certain. Mm-hmm. But in this sea, in this place of mist, of course, Druids are meant to be good weather workers, could raise a mist against their enemy. They were all a bit freaked out at the idea of, of Britain. Um but but they wrote about us. They travelled and they wrote about us. And we've got whole uh, one whole ceremony, the cutting of the mistletoe, that comes directly from someone whose son-in-law served in in Britain as a soldier. So presumably oh, saw this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, the stories about the Druids change mm-hmm. as you get further away from the people who actually met them. Yeah. Um, uh, so some say that they were bloodthirsty and crazed. Some say that they were peace loving and wonderful, really. But the point is, what we do is we pick from that the stuff that will make a relevant spirituality that will be helpful in the world we actually live in. That's the only important thing. So if if the Druids in the past uh, indulged in blood sacrifice, I'm not the slightest bit interested in that. Because mm-hmm. uh, because that's perverted to me. It's not. It's a thing that happened in various tribes in the past. It's nothing to do with real life here. Nothing yeah. to do with it. Yeah. So I just I just discount that. If they knew the turning of the seasons and the motions of the heavenly planets, that's of interest to me because mm-hmm. that helps me to tune into nature. And all of this is laid out. So in the course that I did, the bardic stuff taught me about being in my world and finding my creativity. I went on to be an ovate and learn about trees and healing. What is and, an ovate? Well, that's what an ovate is. It's a, it's the, the magical part of Druidry, if you like. Um, the, the people who use divination tools like tarot um, and so on, the people who f- uh, feel that they can enter trances or time travel, the people who go into the forest for their inspiration Mm-hmm. Um, and all through the course, it it says, be comfortable with this, be safe with this, use your own judgment. So you can go through sipping it very lightly, or you can just get a great big meat horn and drink it all up, you know. Yeah. But when you go through the go through the ovate grade um, of the time travel, the, the healing, the trees, the finding out about yourself in the world, then you go on to the druid grade. And that's the bit about being of service and how do you, you, you now use all your knowledge and be of, be of okay, use in the world. Before we go into the, the adult version, which is being of service and all, let's go back yep. to the time traveler part. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, 
again, this is this is subjective stuff. We do a lot of uh, visualization and meditation, mm-hmm. and um, in when we enter our inner world, we can go back or we can go forward. We can stay in the same place. We can astral travel. We can take go to different realms. Um, the Celtic uh, peoples. Uh, that the Druids come from believed in parallel worlds, parallel universes. Oh, they do. And I think, yeah. and I think it makes sense because it explains all sorts of unex, uh, unex, unexplained psychic phenomena. It explains ghosts. It explains all sorts of things. Um, but um, other than ghosts, what does it explain though? Um, uh, it explains uh, deja vu. It explains um, it explains that feeling as you walk at dusk and suddenly you feel you're walking through a bit of enchantment and mm-hmm. then suddenly you walk out the other side and everything's normal again. Maybe that's just two worlds buffering up against each other, you know, yeah. a little, and you just get a little whisper from a world of fairy or the world of the trees or whatever you want to call it. Um, so if you... Uh, Time traveling, yes. So we all know that there's uh, uh, Proust with his um, Madeleine. You you eat a cake and it takes you right back to when you were six years old. Yeah, yeah. You know, or you yeah. smell or a smell. Yeah, yeah. Smell, and you think, that. oh my grandmother's perfume, mm-hmm. and suddenly you can see you, you can see the little motes of dust in the sunlight, and you're in your grandmother's attic. You know, yeah. That's that's. And it's a form of time traveling we do all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, ovates can do that in their meditation and uh, go back to, I mean, I can go back. It's all subjective to the time of the ancient Druids. I can go back and have a conversation with Merlin if I want. Um, wow. I'm not, yeah, that's fun. What I'm, what I'm, what I am sure of is that there is the reality of the real world of the everyday world and there's the reality of my internal world and I don't mix the two up so I don't just say I don't just pretend I'm actually in constant contact with Merlin I know Mm -hmm. this is my subjective experience but if it's one that enriches me and that I feel I'm learning from then that's a good thing that's a good thing for me you if could one... also go back to the Druids then. You yeah. could go back, even though they didn't write anything down, you could go back and, and yep. learn and to from do... them directly. Yeah, and to do that, I might go back to a place that's associated with them because I might feel that the land itself holds that whisper and resonance mm-hmm. of the past, especially if there's a big standing stone there or something. I mean, why do people flock to Stonehenge and flock to Avebury and all these wonderful monuments? It's because we know in some way they mark the past and in some way intuitively we feel we want to get close to that. Everyone mm-hmm. feels that, not just Druids. I mean, millions of tourists go to Stonehenge every year. Yeah, it, we, yeah. We're all servicing the same need for enchantment. Oh, I've got something written on my board that I give to my students and they make pictures out of it and do it with calligraphy and so on. It says, the soul has an uh, absolute and unforgiving need for regular excursions into enchantment. Yeah. And I, th- I think that is really true. I think that's really it, true. It really is. And it's a, it is a, 
almost like a breath of fresh air, a moment to stop and breathe and enjoy and even remember where you are. (laughs) Yeah, it's really life life affirming, life affirming. And it can be as simple as walking in a park and it's been raining and you deliberately walk under a low branch so you get little drops of rain on your head, you know? I'm Quite in magical. Denver, Colorado. Would love to see some rain here. Uh, yes. <laughs> I know. So so you did then um, go back to the Druids, time travel back. And mm-hmm. um, did you learn skills from them or? I don't know. I don't I don't think it's a question of of. Uh, sort of workshopping with the druids or anything like that. I think it's more a question of feeling in tune with your with the deep root, your deep roots, mm-hmm. you know. And I think any anyone can do that. It's just, as you say, uh, when you take a, a moment for enchantment, it's a moment to remember who you are and and where you are. And these little time traveler exercises, they just remind you of where you've come from, what your lineage is sort of thing you know i mean in america i know this lineage is a big thing i mean the yeah, number of, you know whether you've got scottish or irish mm-hmm. uh, ancestry and all this sort of thing and of course then you've got the challenge of 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 honoring that but living on the land that you're living in uh, or on you know uh, so you've got the all these different things i mean i was i was born in england and i'm i'm living in england and my folks by the look of me, my folks go back well into antiquity because that's what I look like. I look like an old Saxon. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> and, and we're all from somewhere else. Precisely. You know, uh, yes. there, are, there are a number of Native Americans, but mostly we're all from somewhere else. Yes. But so, the, impo- the important thing for all of us is to make a relationship with the land that we're in. And you, you call it a backyard, don't we? We always think mm-hmm. a backyard is really quite a mucky thing in England. It's not a nice place, but just a place to put the bins. But your yeah. backyards, you know, have got trees and beautiful things in, and that's where you make your immediate relationship with your land. Yeah, yeah. And your backyard is only for bins that so you don't have... Yeah, no. When we say backyard, we mean a uh, uh, sort of tarmac area with bins and poor all, houses all the way have, in the back. Yeah, yeah. Poor houses have backyards, you know, rather than rather than proper gardens. Yeah. But do you have yards in the back? <laughs> well, well, we have. We have. I mean, I've got a nice garden. I, I had. That's a what I was going to ask. Gardens. And, yeah. 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 Oh, yes. okay. Good. Yeah. 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 But there are some cities in England. I was amazed when I went on a teaching practice. I went to my first city that had sort of houses with no gardens, no trees, no nothing, just this backyard, just bins and washing lines, not a a piece of green anywhere. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a shock to my system because I've grown up in a very leafy green place. You know, I lived in New York City for a time, and you, you feel a real need to get to something with land and greenery, you know, and that's just not paved, you know, it's a real need, Um, almost a desperate need. You know what? I'm going to take a break now and we'll be right back. One thing's for certain life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? 
Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and we're back with Penny Billington. We've been talking about druids. We're going to continue to talk about druids. And one of the questions I have is where there's magic and then where there's power, there Mm -hmm. always seems to be an abuse of power. (laughs) So does nature keep druids ethical? Because nature doesn't have a lot of room for abuse. Mm. It doesn't, although we've been doing a pretty good job and we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah, well, I, yes, I'm a firm believer in Druidry being a deeply, deeply magical path. And by that, I mean Druids can do magic if they want to. A lot of them choose not to. That's entirely up to them. I love it. But what kind of magic would you do? So my magic is not manipulative magic. Mm -hmm. It's the magic of that gets me in tune with what's going on. So, for example, um, if you if there's a huge uh, sea, there's a swell on the sea, mm-hmm. um, you could go in the opposite direction if you've got a, 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 a mo- motorboat. You know, you can mm-hmm. ignore the waves, you can ignore the tide, you can just go zoom straight through it on a motorboat. And I think right. that's manipulative magic to me. You, you know, that's people saying... I want this. I want love. I want the job. I want the man. I want the Mm -hmm. woman. I want this. And no matter what, you know, and it's, they're not putting in a context. They're just going from what they want. That's manipulative. But if you surf, then you're on the sea and you're looking to the waves and thing, and you're working with it and you can get that. I've never surfed. I'm terrified. I'd be terrified too, but I've (laughs) seen what a thing of beauty it is. Right. When people and the natural element work together uh, to, to create this beautiful art form, which so that's surfing the wave. That's my sort of magic. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I suppose. Uh, and the thing is, being in nature, yes, it does keep me straight it, because it gives me a wider context than my own particular wants. Of mm-hmm. course, I want to be, you know. Uh, stick thin, look like a model, have the man of my dreams, have it live in a mansion. I want all that rubbish, maybe, um, on some level, because it's very hard to avoid that in modern life. Right. But actually, being in nature, sitting under under a tree with uh, a thermos of coffee and taking a sip and thinking, oh, God, I don't need anything else. This is it. That just keeps me balanced and, and keeps the context wider. So my wants and needs 
my neurotic need for money and power and status and people, uh, you know, that's it goes into the background. You know, I don't de- that's not being developed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I was just working in the office fighting for the boss's approval, you know, 16 hours a day and that that neurotic urge would be very much the forefront of my mind. So being in nature, yes, it keeps you balanced, gives you a big context, keeps you ethical. Um, and you're content. Then, yes. Yeah. Um, but then there's also the thing of if you believe in that there are rhythms and movements of life and in the universe, you sort of think you don't want to go against those because it would be like a boy with a slingshot pulling back the elastic, you know, but when it goes ping, the elastic pings back. And Mm -hmm. I don't want that reaction. I always think if I try and change the world to suit myself, what's what's the reaction going to be? I think some people say, you know, if you point point one finger at something else, three fingers are pointing back at you. Mm-hmm. So my, <laughs> so for example, I did magic. Let's take a practical example because it's all very high minded and um, and theoretical. So mm-hmm. I wanted to move house. So I set my intent. I wanted to move where I wanted to move to, the type of house I wanted, that sort of thing. And I always put a proviso, which is a big thing in Obod Druidry, for the good of all beings. So if I'm going to wish and want for anything, I'm going to send that up to the greater powers, up to the universe to say, if it's for the good of all beings, if it's not, don't give it to me, you know, because nothing's worth the aggro of putting something in place that's going to be bad for people. Um, And I think if the greater powers exist, I think our integrity of intent means a lot. I think we can trust them. I don't think they're like vengeful, uh, big, powerful human beings. I think, you know, they are creative energies and they will, we can take it on trust that if we do something with integrity and intent, it will work out okay. Whether that means it'll work out for me or whether it will work out and nothing happens. This is, uh, I explored this in a book called, uh, that I wrote a tiny booklet called How to Stop the Rain. Mm-hmm. Because I say facetiously, I stopped the rain. I did some magic. And I did. <laughs> but it's co- of course it's coincidence. I would have to be a megalomaniac to think, oh, I stopped the rain. But I did um, do a talk at a, at a camp, a pagan camp. Mm-hmm. And as I finished, the heavens opened. You know the noise it makes on a tent roof, a great big market. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I said to people, just like the in the black and white, Hollywood movies. Hey, folks, let's do the show right here. Let's do some magic to stop the rain. And uh, about half of them said, oh, what's that about? OK, we'll do that. And uh, and we did it. And um, what did coinc- you do, though? What coincidentally, you- the rain stopped. And so I wrote this little booklet telling you how to do it. Um, and uh, I, I what have did done you it- do, though? I, mean- I have done it more than once. So I'll tell you, it's it's not a secret. It's I'll tell you what. The procedure is this. First of all, if something is begging for your attention, if a child is kicking your legs and looking distressed, you don't ignore it. You Mm -hmm. pay attention, say what you want. So we didn't ignore the rain. The first thing we did was say hello to the rain and start praising it, giving it some praise. 
just you will be the child. Oh, what's wrong with you? You might say to your little toddler, that's not like you. Is there something wrong? You're usually so, you know, you usually really like coming out with me. Oh, you know, that sort of thing. So we look at the rain. We see that it's beautiful. We know that our country needs rain. You appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. so we start praising it. So I said to people, who will praise the rain? And someone said, "Um, yes, it makes the crops grow. Yes, it makes the grass green. Yes, it makes my granddaughter laugh when she splashes. So we did all that. So we noticed the rain right. for a start. Gave um, it the uh, attention it wanted. Yes. Yeah. And uh, then we um, we got together and I quite can't remember the, all the process now. We got together and I think we sang to it. Mm-hmm. We, we, we set out and sent out an invocation saying we would love to have some sun, we love you, but we'd love to have some sunshine in this camp for the evening, you know, and maybe a rainbow, you know, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's right, let's have that. And then we try to raise a bit of energy for that to, to push out those ones. But we were, but we were quite um, open about it that, you know, if it was for the good of all beings, if it was, if that was okay with the rain, with the elements, mm-hmm. If not, keep raining. We've got gumboots. We'll manage. Um, and then we did a, a we did a, a big song. We did a big song praising the rain, and I led it. And there was clapping, and we started moving just like you and know. And that's increasing the, the energy then. Yeah, and that we and in that we lost our self consciousness, and we lost our our need for a result. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost all that urgency. Oh, I really want it to dry up because I want my barbecue or I want to sing around a campfire. We lost all that, all that because we were so involved with the moment. And I started, I, I arm in arm someone. So we were swinging around like it was a hoedown and we singing and clapping and, you know, generally hullabalooing. Mm-hmm. And then, whoosh, we'll let it all go as a big thank you. And, um, and we calmed down a bit. We calmed down a bit. And um, then within three minutes, as we were saying, wow, that was interesting. What an experience. Thank you, we said to everyone. I really, because we had a wonderful human experience with 40 people. And as we were saying that, the rain just dried to a trickle and the sun came out and we got a beautiful rainbow. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and you know, coincidentally that happened now you can say that if i was in tune with the land and the weather and the elements mm-hmm. that i i provoked that because i was sort of intuitively feeling that the rain was going to stop in 5 minutes not that it stopped for me but that this was going to happen and i could jump on and surf that wave yeah. and make a great experience for people out of that that's mm-hmm. probably the way I would look at it. But for whatever reason, it did happen. And yeah. so I put it in a booklet uh, with about six different um, things. Oh, here we go. This is the exact, exact thing. Here's the ritual. We noticed the rain. We praised it. I set the intent. So I talked to the rain and gave it gratitude and thanks and asked it to accept our praise song. I asked everyone to sing wholeheartedly. I led this simple chant. We became engrossed in it and our intent flew from us. We gave up any expectation of the outcome. The chant finished and I thanked the rain directly and formally and said, 
whatever happened was fine with us. We think the rain's wonderful. And I ended the ritual. And then I thanked the participants. And then it stopped raining. How would you do that to bring the rain? Again, I'm in Denver, Colorado, and we're getting pretty desperate out west here well, in the United States. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know. The, the first thing you always do is be glad for glad of what you've got. Mm-hmm. So we were glad of the rain. So if you're not getting any rain, you've got to be glad of glad of the fine dry weather, which yes. does has its own advantages. You know, so you've got to praise that, mm-hmm. and then you've got to. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you conjure the clouds. Do you know what? It, it's never a problem in England. Yeah. <laughs> I've never <laughs> needed true. to do it. That's <laughs> true. It never is. It's always oh. the other way. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I did once, though, many years ago, we had a, uh, a virtual ritual because we all lived in different places. What we called it said seven o'clock in the evening, we'll all do this. And the only thing I can remember, because it was it was a dr- the sort of drought which makes the earth smell nasty. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think it's been dry too long. Oh, um, it's like the cement. The land things. is like cement. Yeah. It's so dry. Yeah. And I remember one of the things we uh, we did was we played rainy water, watery songs. I remember I had strings of sort of tinsely silver and I hung them from some trees like like, oh, like it would look raining. Yeah. So sort of sympathetic magic type thing. And mm-hmm. uh, coincidentally, the drought, a couple of days later, the drought, the drought did end. I think we're um, going to have to try that out here. <laughs> anything. The point is, it's like with the book, Nine Ways to Charm a Drive, which is about trees and spirits. Mm-hmm. I, tell, I ask people to be fascinated. Now, what we're talking about is being fascinated by magical process. Who knows mm-hmm. whether it'll work? Is it harming anyone? Is it manipulative? If it's right. not, try it and have fun and always keep projecting out if it's for the best, if it's mm-hmm. for the best, because I'm a little silly person. I don't know what's for the best, you know, as well yeah. as being incredibly wise druid, of course, you know, which is how I'm projecting <laughs> myself to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not manipulative magic. And, mm-hmm. and to avoid manipulative magic, go to the core of what you want. So you don't maybe don't when you look at it, you're fixated on that man or that woman. But what you want is the feeling of love in your life. Mm-hmm. And we can get that in a million different ways. You don't, you know, you might really want that job, not enough to, to do magic to make someone else break their legs so, you, have, so you, you get it. But what you really need is security. You know, the, the things can oh, be so good at the core of what you really yeah. need. Yeah. Security. Love and loving relationships are incredibly important to human beings, incredibly mm-hmm. important. And, you know, 99% of the time, being active, having an active sexual partner will be nothing to do with that loving, intimate contact, you know. But because we're an over sexualized society, we think, oh, you know, on to the next boyfriend, on to the next girlfriend, maybe right. it's the trial. We need that reflection, yeah. Yeah, it's a triumph of hope over experience, isn't it? That we keep jumping from partner to partner, (laughs) making the same mistakes. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) next time. (laughs) Yeah, go and go and cuddle a tree instead. Go and just tell a tree, sit under a tree and tell it all your troubles and see if you get a bit of love back from it. (laughs) And your new book, Nine Ways to, to Charm a Dryad. Now, what's the difference between a druid and a dryad? Well, 
a druid is talking to you. It's a human being mm-hmm. who thinks they're an indigenous priest or priestess of the land and that they can be of service to the community and um, live a spiritual life and a full human life of all the uh, fun that they can have in and the world. And a big part of nature. As yes. Full human yeah. As a part of nature. Yeah. yeah and, and with everything. I mean, I'm a druid with a car. I use it responsibly. I'm a druid who occasionally eats fast food. food and when it's a treat, my God, it tastes good sometimes. You know, because, <laughs> yeah. because druids live on the earth and embrace the, the idea that living on the earth is a celebratory thing. We're not here for very long. So get your enjoyment, your ethical enjoyment mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. A dryad, on the other hand, is this specifically a, the spirit of a tree. And we get that word, uh, you know, and all we know about dryads from the way the Greeks, the Greek religion used to relate to them. Um, the ancient Greeks had uh, oracles in trees. They had uh, groves where the trees themselves would speak oracles and divine and tell people the future. And kings used to go and visit them. Kings would or, or send their emissaries with. Is that the tree of life or? Uh, no, no, this is this is the uh, there was a one called the uh, the oak grove of I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's Dordona, I think uh, there are various groves all over Greece, huh. some some more famous than others that people would travel to um, the uh, the tree of life. We think of from the Kabbalah tradition really as, as being a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm I'm speaking here about the uh, actual oak groves that people would go to, travel on a pilgrimage to, to get uh, to get answers to their questions. And of course, being tricksy, the priests and priestesses of the trees would always give you an answer. You were never quite sure what it meant. It could go, <laughs> could go both ways. Oh, well, they weren't they weren't <laughs> stupid. These people, you know. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> That's where we get our idea of dryads, of trees being inspirited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because, it's the spirit in the tree, yes. the spirit of the tree. Of the tree, yes. Yeah. And yeah. because trees and humans are so near, so like each other, I mean, if you think about it, a tree's got a trunk. We call our body our trunk. A tree's got a crown. We call the top of our head a, 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 a crown. You know, we talk about the limbs of a tree as well as the boughs of the tree, you know, we both live on the earth. And although they're longer lived than us, we can mm. understand their lifespan. We can't understand the lifespan of a stone. It's just too long. It goes on too yeah. long. But yeah. we can understand that a tree is sort of like us because it lives for 200, 300, 400 years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very like us. And they, so they look like us. You walk in the dark. And a, a big bush can look like a person, you know, with their arms stretched out. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to imagine the connection between people and the root and trees. being rooted. I'd like to think we're, yes. we're more grounded than we are, but <laughs> yeah, well, it's we are very, walking on the earth. <laughs> yeah, well, it's and and to feel rooted is a really basic need. I mean, how do you bully someone at work? You make them hot desks. You take their little bit of rootedness away, so they haven't got their little bit of territory. They can't put their feet behind the, under that desk. You make them move around. You know, suddenly 
They don't feel quite so comfortable. And they're yeah. not, I mean, people... Have you done this? <laughs> but, no, of course not. No. But, but you know... This, you know there it are, well. <laughs> there are, there are t- I hear about these things. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, Pete, children of the military, I know, get used to moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. But a lot of but people, a lot of people live a much more rooted life. And, and we'll say, you know, oh, well, I've, they might move several times, but they will always feel their heart in one particular place, mm-hmm. often the place they grew up, you know. So we are rooted yeah. like the trees. Yeah. It's easy to see that this, there's a spirit in the tiniest weed and in the biggest tree, but it's easy to connect. There's, the trees make it easy to connect to. And how, do, how, does, how would the average person feel that or connect to the tree? In your book, Nine Charms, um, yeah. nine ways to charm a druid. You actually go through the first one we've talked about, which is fascination. Well, yes. You want to talk about a few of the others? Yes, certainly. I mean, the first thing is to love trees. And to, as you were saying, if you live in a city, you feel a real need for mm-hmm. a time where, you know, for walking on something that isn't paved. And you long for the refreshment of green, green leaves. So the first thing is to become fascinated with those trees. How many different trees in your local park? What are their habits? What do you get from them? Um, You know, it's surprising how many fruit trees are around. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in a tiny city, the smallest city in England, Wells, and there are fruit trees around and the fruit just falls in the public spaces. No one even knows it's there. So when we when we get fascinated and we notice them, the next thing is to acclimatize. And that's what you're asking about. How do we become more in tune with the trees Mm -hmm. to start a conversation with them? And the main way is to be around them and to slow down. It's something incredibly difficult for us human beings to do. (laughs) And there are good ways of doing it. I mean, one good way is take a pretend toddler with you when you go walking. Now, you know, when you've got a toddler and you'll say you point things out to them, you you make conversation Mm -hmm. with that toddler all the time. So if you've got your imaginary toddler, look for things to point out to them. And that means you will notice far more than you notice as a lone human being. You'll yeah. notice, you know, oh, look at those bree- the, the breeze shaking those leaves. Oh, can you smell that smell of the damp earth? Can you? So having your pretend toddler gets your mind into noticing. Also, have your pretend camera because mm-hmm. photographers slow down all the time and stop and look and notice. And I mean, you can make a sort of square or a roundness just with your fingers and look through as if you're looking through binoculars just to see different spaces in the landscape. All these Mm -hmm. things will slow you down. Yeah. As soon as you slow down, you start to notice. You come into a room babbling and you're really excited. As soon as you stop and you slow down, you realise two people have just stopped an argument and there's a filthy atmosphere in that room. But as long as you're babbling, you won't notice it. So acclimatizing is about slowing down and um, trying to get more in tune with the the speed of nature. When you do that, you can start noticing little things like when you walk into a tree's shadow, when when you feel that the tree's aura spreads out, can you tell when you step into and out of it take another breath step out try again can you see now just give it a bit of 
you can do a lot of this and be completely discreet. No mm-hmm. one will know what you're doing. You can do it in the most public of parks. Just take five minutes. Um, take a takeaway coffee with you or a thermos of coffee. That gives you an excuse. They're usually benches by trees. Mm-hmm. That gives you an excuse to sit with no one noticing you. Yeah. Put a, put a magazine on your lap if you want to be extra anonymous. But yeah. actually, your back is only a couple of feet away from the trunk of a tree and you're sensing things. Your, your attention is on sensing those things. Give yourself five minutes off. It is a treat and uh, it's difficult to get into and it's addictive when you, when you are into it because you get so much out of it. Mm-hmm. So... Then we only have you, about a, a minute to go. <laughs> yeah. And I want to know how to find my druid. <laughs> my, how to, no, my, my dryad. My dryad. How, how to find your dryad. Just look, yeah. around, look around your backyard, look around your park, and just see which one you feel pulled towards. Which one seems often when you look with those eyes, one will just jump out at you and say, Hey, I'm beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Go with that one. Go up, say hello, and just breathe and don't try and heal the world. Don't try and, you know, be wise or anything. Just say hello. I've come to learn from you. It's all and, in the book. It's all in the book, Bob. Yeah, and you say <laughs> to visit often. To visit often. Just as you would with a human friend, keep going back. Keep going back. That's how we build relationships with humans with dryads, with rivers, with the whole natural world. And that's, that is what I call living druidry. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say this because I've had people do this. If you put your hand on a tree and pay mm. attention, you can feel the life force in that tree. You can feel it. So you it's can. not, you know, where you're, where you're trying to feel something and you don't know if you do, just put your mm. hand on a tree and you can feel that that life force. But now yeah. tell me where people can get hold of you and where we, they, we can get your, not only this new book, but all of your books. Oh, thank you. This is a nice opportunity for me. I've got a website, which is pennybillington.com. And from that website, there's a lot of, uh, it answers a lot of questions about what a druid does and all this sort of thing. There, there's, a, there's a regular blog. You can join a mailing list if you want, where I, I send information out eight times a year. Um, it also connects you to my online course, Crafting the Druid Path. Um, my first book, the one I, the first is my big book called The Path of Druidry. And that takes you through, it's a, like, it's a workbook if you want it to be. It's step uh, by step. Yeah, it will take you right through. Uh, Nine ways to charm a dryad will be how to connect particularly to the trees in your area. How to stop the rain. Conversational magic with the cosmos will tell you how to do ethical magic and just have fun. Druids love to celebrate. They love to be creative. They love to be of service. That's the bottom line. That's (laughs) great. Penny, thanks so much for being on the show and for introducing us to Druid and dryads. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been Thank a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. 
Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.